You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. All right, so we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the guy who actually lived everything we've just talked about. Um, he, was, he had faith enough to see the radical things God was showing us, and he had courage enough to live it out. Even when the provision didn't seem to be there, he had courage enough to live it out. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, and we always say the best way to engage the message is with your Bible, something to write on, something to write with. But before you go to Matthew chapter 1, I want to ask you to turn to the very last page of your Bible, Not not the table of weights and measures, not that page, but the last page of Revelation, chapter 22. I want to look at the last verse, it's not that it's the second to last verse actually, of of, uh, Revelation chapter 22, because the last verses of Revelation are just as much Christmas as the first chapters of Matthew. In Revelation 22, 20, John writes, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And in my Bible, because my Bible has the words of Jesus in red, that's Jesus saying that. Yes, I am coming soon. That's Jesus talking. It's Jesus reminding us that he is coming again and that out of that proclamation comes the first prayer of the Christian church, this powerful, primitive prayer, come, Lord Jesus. So Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. And then, and then the people of God say, amen, come, Lord Jesus. So say it, people of God, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Now say it like you mean it, amen, come, Lord Jesus. It's my favorite prayer, one I pray all the time. I just discovered this last week. I had no idea that even when I am, like when the sound booth has turned me off, there's still some channel that back there that records everything I say, even when I'm not, you can't hear it. And that'll change what I say during the worship service. I'll tell you that during the... Because the guy in the back can hear me speaking in tongues during worship. And, and, but one of my favorite prayers, and I say it all the time, is come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. I pray that over this worship service. I have to say probably every single Sunday, pray, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. It, it, is, it, is, it is in the season of Advent that prayer becomes even more valuable because in that prayer, it's not just come settle over this room. It is come. It's come back. We're waiting and we're waiting not for a big guy in a red suit, but for the coming of Christ that, and, and not for the coming of Christ that's already taken place. We are waiting for the coming that is yet to come. So let me say that again so you can write it down. Advent is about the coming of Christ that is yet to come. This season is meant to make us hungry, desperate for the Christ who is yet to come. 
So when we read the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke, we read it while stretching toward the last words of the Bible, and we read it while waiting. Advent teaches us to groan a little, to watch, to lean in, and in the watching, to get good at seeing where God is at work, where, where his kingdom is breaking in. And no one is a better teacher than, uh, of that than Joseph, the earthly custodian of Jesus. So now turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So here's what we know about Joseph. His father was named Jacob. He was a carpenter, a Jewish man, faithful to the law. That's a big deal. Faithful to the law, which means, this is so interesting to me, that that when Joseph became engaged to Mary, he also was a virgin. Which means Jesus was born not to one virgin, but two. I wonder why we never talk about that. That's huge to me and beautiful. It is a huge, beautiful, true thing. Jesus was faithful, disciplined, holy. He wasn't just some guy going along with his wife's Christmas plans. In fact, I'd argue that Joseph was consistently the most active person in the story of Jesus' birth. Think about it. What moves, who moves the story along? It's Joseph. Joseph, in constant interaction with the Holy Spirit, in his dreams, hearing from an angel for, of the Lord. He's the one who keeps the baby alive and is constantly moving him into the flow of the Old Testament prophecies. Joseph was a faithful, disciplined, holy man with an established habit of hearing from God. And God depended on Joseph because God knew Joseph would listen and obey. You should probably write that over the, at the top of your page as sort of like the, over the, the heading over this whole message. Listen and obey. Remember that. Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. I want you to underline that. We'll come back to it way in a while. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Clearly, this is a man who has walked with God for years, who has practiced the presence of God in his life in such a way that when God spoke, he knew his voice. Do you remember the place in the gospel of John when, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and those who follow me, they know my voice. The sheep know my voice. Do you remember where he said that? It, it turns out it's a thing in the kingdom of God to know the voice of God. And the only way to know the voice well enough is to step off a cliff we, uh, or, or the only way to know a voice well enough to step off a cliff when you hear it is to practice and practice and practice. <laughs> I want to be able to tell you some big, huge secret thing, but I don't know how to talk about hearing from God other than to tell you that you have to start learning how to hear from God. And you do it by practicing. Think of it sort of like a person who, the, the difference between a person who plays golf once or twice a year and the person who plays golf every week. I don't, I'm not telling you this because I know how to play golf or do. I have four brothers who play golf though. And I can tell you that the brother who plays golf every week is a whole lot better at golf than the brother who plays once or twice a year. 
The brother who plays once or twice a year, he might get lucky and make a few decent shots, but he's not going to be consistently getting the ball on the green. But the person who plays every week, when he gets the ball on the green, it's not luck, it's practice. And it's the same with hearing the voice of God. A person who has walked with him for years, who has practiced the art of holiness, who listens for the voice of God every day, that person will more consistently hear from God, not flawlessly, hear that, not flawlessly, but consistently. So here's the spiritual principle. A disciplined walk with God is how we learn to make consistently faithful choices. Because a disciplined walk with God is how we learn the voice of God. I only just discovered that do not disturb feature on my phone. Never noticed it before. I, I only discovered it because I somehow activated it by mistake. All of a sudden I wasn't getting my phone calls, wasn't getting notifications, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was until Jenny showed me that nifty little feature, which I must have hit by mistake um, without realizing it. And about the time that happened, I was listening to this podcast with um, Tyler Statton. He's a pastor in Portland. And he was talking about the do not disturb feature on his phone, which he actually knew about. And he said that his is set so that when it turns on, the only person who can get through the do not disturb feature is his wife. Because he says, you should listen to this, she is never an interruption. Yeah. Guys, you should write that down. That's a, good, that's a good line. So in that podcast I was listening to, Staten also talks about a, a date night that he has with his wife every week. And he says that date night is intimately connected to the do not disturb feature. And, and, his, and his commitment to exempt his wife from that do not disturb feature because that date night is creating, listen to this, a deeper interruptibility. That's good, people. That's a powerful thought. Creating a deeper interruptibility. That regular connection, that regular practice, that deepening of understanding as Tyler and his wife take designated time to talk more and listen more and learn each other more, that creates a stronger ability for this guy to interpret his wife's world and to hear beyond her voice to what she's really saying. And, 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 and to, he has a stronger desire to be in that world. And this is what I want to say to you about Joseph. With God... Joseph had a deeper interruptibility. He was interruptible to God. He'd obviously already spent time practicing the presence of God. So his do not disturb feature did not extend vertically. So God always had Joseph's attention. And God exploited that fully in a good way. Four times in the first two chapters, Joseph acted in response to a dream or vision, and that's how God kept the Messiah alive. It was through Joseph's consistent ability to hear God's voice and his consistent willingness to go where that voice took him. That has to be why God chose Joseph. It was because he could hear. Joseph's faith, his active ability to listen and interpret and believe what he heard, Joseph's interruptibility is one reason, if not the reason, we have the story of Christmas that we have. I mean, the way it happened. Joseph 
actively honed his ability to listen to God. And so when God moved them to Nazareth and then to Egypt and then said, go home, Joseph was able to hear all of that in dreams from an angel of the Lord because he had all, he was ready. Let that, let that sink in and then ask yourself, am I interruptible? Now it's on the screen so you can finally spell it right. Am I interruptible? Because the ability to hear and obey comes with only rare exceptions from the kind of consistent practice that creates interruptibility. So are you so settled in what you will and will not do, so settled in the parameters of your reality that there is no room left for the voice of God? Or are you interruptible? All right, I want you to look at verse 20 again. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. I want you to underline, you are to give him the name Jesus. Joseph gets to do what Adam and Eve got to do with the animals. He gets to name this new humanity. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. I just want to notice that that may have been the most profound piece of Joseph's job. He got to name the Messiah. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. He was the first person, human, to speak into the universe into the world, the name at which every knee will one day bow and every tongue one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> what an incredible privilege. And he got that privilege because he was listening. So this whole story can be summed up in two words, trust and obey. Or listen and obey. Listen and obey. Those are the two words. Listen or, or learn how to listen and then learn how to obey. And what, is, what, what does spiritual listening look like? Let's start there on the listening side. What distinguishes spiritual listening from good old-fashioned intuition? I've got really good intuition. I'm not as good at hearing the voice of God. How do we cultivate the kind of listening that actually changes how we respond to the world around us so we can, as we've said a lot lately, have the mind of Christ? You know, we've just spent six weeks talking about what it means to have the mind of Christ. So how do we learn how to listen so that we have the mind of Christ so we can hear God's plan, can recognize his voice and see what he's doing, especially when the call is so counterintuitive that you would never agree to do it unless it was God himself talking? How do we cultivate an ear for the kingdom? Well, from Joseph's story and from my experience, it seems that it looks at least like these things. Stillness, but not only stillness. And a lengthening spiritual attention span and a growing recognition of the voice of God. And, and these three things are all connected I can't improve my attention span if I don't know how to be still, and I can't learn the voice of God if I don't know how to pay spiritual attention. I get it. 
I mean, you were talking to the queen of I don't sit still right here. I don't sit still well, and I get it. For some of us, that's hard. So it may be that we first learn how to connect with God while we're doing something with our hands so our brains can be free. Maybe you need to start by prayer walking instead of prayer sitting, or you need to fold laundry. But as someone who doesn't sit well, I can also tell you that I have learned that eventually I had to get to the place where I could sit down. The deepest stuff doesn't happen while you're at a red light. Or doing, some, or doing chores. The deepest stuff happens when you have disciplined yourself enough to sit and listen for the voice of God. Training your brain to do differently than it wants to do. So maybe we need to do fewer things that deform our attention to God. Like, social media or the news or our own worries. You know, you can, you can make a real habit of just letting your worries play undisciplined in your brain and that becomes your sort of your mental habit. So maybe we need to let go of habits that can deform neuropathways and make it more difficult for us to be still and become conscious of God so our mind is focused toward the presence of the Spirit of God. And from that focus, we can begin to cooperate with God in prayer. John Mark Comer says this, and it's, it's full of 25-cent words. Prayer is meant to be not deformative, but an informative act for the curation of consciousness. Which is to say, prayer is meant to make your brain healthier. Prayer is meant to make your thinking healthier. It, 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 good prayer actually works with our brains to improve our conscious contact with God. And so let me give you two pra very practical ways to, to just start. If your whole heart wants right now to hear from God and your whole experience has been, I never hear from him. I'm just going to give you two places, two ideas, places to start. They say the most important moments in the... Um, for, that, for the health of your brain and the development of neuropathways are what you think about what you think about the moment before you go to sleep and what you think about the moment you wake up. So what if you developed a practice of making your last word before you sleep a kind of Joseph prayer? I mean, Joseph heard God a lot in dreams. So on your way to sleep, what if you were to pray, Lord, speak to me even in my dreams? Steve and I, we don't pray that prayer every night, but we pray that prayer often. And as it turns out, Steve and I both have a pretty healthy experience of God speaking to us in our dreams. So what if you tried that at night, last thing before you go to bed, not whatever's on your phone, but, but just on your heart, Lord, speak to me even in my dreams. And then... What's the first moment, what's your, what's, what's, what is usually your first thought the moment you wake up? What is it? What is your first thought when you wake up? Coffee. Coffee. Okay. The early service people too. What else? What else? What you're probably not saying and what is probably just as true for many of us is the first thing that well, I wake up with is stuff I'm worried about. I now just have a very active brain to start worrying I have a rested brain to start worrying. Or, or maybe you grab for your phone. Anybody in here grab for your phone as soon as you wake up in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So 
So what if instead of grabbing for your phone or grabbing for your worries, what if you prayed a simple prayer? Write this down. Lord, what are you saying to me today? Like, let that be the first thing out of your head in the morning. Lord, what are you saying to me today? I did it this morning, and the first thing I heard was, delight in me and delight in my people. And it kind of shifted the way I felt about Sunday morning, because I'm the pastor, and there's a lot on the pastor's shoulders on Sunday morning. But I just woke up smiling. Beautiful. What if you just try it? What, in those times of day, last thing at night, first thing in the morning, if those are the most critical times for carving pathways into your brain, what if you gave those two moments to God? What I'm saying is that an intentional practice of prayer could actually change your ability to hear from God both while you're asleep and while you're awake. Those two simple practices could improve your interruptibility with God. So what if you tried that every day in the coming week? And, and write down every, that's the, that's, the, that's the piece you really need to remember, is write down what you hear. Because then you can turn it into prayer. Lord, help me to delight in you and help me to delight in your people. Make that, whatever you hear, into prayer. And if you dream something at night, write it down. It doesn't have to be from God. It could just be last night's pizza. It's okay. You're, tr you're practicing, remember? You're practicing. So who's willing to give that a, tr a try? Just every day this week, last thing at night, first thing in the morning. Who's willing to give it a try? That is awesome. I can't wait to hear your stories. So first we're learning to listen, and then we're learning how to obey. What does obedience look like? That was the kicker for Joseph. He not only had to hear God's voice, but he had to obey God's voice. So when God said to make Mary his wife, even though she was pregnant, he had faith in that voice and he did it. And when God told him to take his wife and child to Egypt, a crazy counterintuitive move for a Jewish person who couldn't have liked Jew Egypt very much, he did it anyway. So what does obedience look like according to Joseph? I think sometimes obedience looks like trusting crazy stuff. In my life, it has been that over and over again, trusting God to do the very counterintuitive thing. God actually spoke to me while I was in seminary about starting a church. I didn't even know church, I didn't know churches got started. I just thought they were already there. It never once occurred to me to start a church before the day I heard it, and I can still remember exactly where I was standing when I first heard it. I also never thought of... Um, Never, ever expected, never, ever expected to come back to Augusta. In fact, most of my prayers in the early days, right there at the end of seminary, were, God, I'll do anything. I'll go any place you want me to go. Just don't send me to Athens and don't send me to Augusta. 25 years of ministry, I'll give you two guesses about the two places I've been. <laughs> Athens and Augusta. And so now, my prayer is, Lord, please do not send me to Hilton Head. Please. But see, prayer is the practice that makes us available to God. Prayer makes our lives interruptible. And then when you hear it, when you hear his voice, even if you're not sure, just pick up the ball and run with it. You remember we, we said this last week, this, this little thing that happened in the LSU-Georgia game. LSU uh, was, was going for an extra point, and, and the the 
kick got blocked and the, somehow the, the ball ended up still in the, on the playing field and everybody was looking at it. Nobody was really sure if it was still in play or not. And this guy, one Georgia, Georgia player, came up, looked at the ball, looked at the official, and then he just decided, I don't know if it's right or not, but I'm going to pick it up and run with it. Everybody else on the field was confused and he ran for a 95-yard touchdown. And, and so the, the, that's what obedience looks like for praying people. It is listening for the voice of God. And then rather than staring at the ball or focusing on what the other team is doing, just pick it up and run with it for all you're worth. If you're wrong, nobody dies. Most of the time, nobody dies. Just run. Just run. And as the angel said to Joseph, don't be afraid. That comes up over and over again. That's why he can say, don't be afraid. If I've told you something, I've got this. If you don't get it exactly right, just try again. I'm just trying to get you to hear from me. I just want you to be interruptible. So don't be afraid. Just do it. Just do it. Sometimes there's going to be a flag on the play, but God honors the person who is willing to listen and obey, who is interruptible and who does what he says, even if it doesn't make sense. So now we come back to that thing. What does is, what is obedience look like? What does is, what is, what is joy look like? Because it's a Sunday of joy, right? In the Advent calendar, it's a Sunday of joy. What does joy look like when obedience is hard? Well, I can tell you that just nobody in the Bible had it easy. Obedience wasn't easy for Moses, sitting out there in the desert for 40 years, trying to hone his ability to hear from God so he could finally hear him in a burning bush. Obedience wasn't easy for Joseph. Obedience wasn't easy for Paul, who was shipwrecked. And I mean, he gives a whole list of things, beaten and flogged, imprisoned. And yet every one of them could say there was joy. Every one of them could say there was joy. The collective witness and teaching of Scripture tells me that dreams and visions and the voice of God can be expected of those who are fully awake to God's voice. And there is joy. There is sheer joy when you start to hear it, when you begin to hear and recognize this voice. And when we get good at it, I don't know if anybody's ever really good. Even if you are, you shouldn't say so because there's no humility in believing you've got a handle on God's voice. But when we start to get good at it, then when we hear something, we can relax into it. We can just relax into it. So I gotta tell you what happened. I know I'm going a little late, but just give me one more story because this is the coolest thing. A little more than a week ago, I was on a plane to Ohio. And one of those things, go straight up to date and do a thing and come home. And um, I never talk to people on the plane. I'm on the plane a lot. I never talk to people on the plane. I, um, at one time, I thought, you know, I'm going to do that thing that speakers do where they evangelize on the plane and then get to tell people about it, and it went terribly. And so I just don't do it anymore. That's not my mission field. So I get on the plane. As soon as the plane gets to the right height, I pull out my computer and I work. But this time, this, this time, uh, everybody was seated. Nobody else in the aisle. And then one last person comes down, and she sits next to me. And she starts to tell me why she was late getting on the plane. And then she starts to tell me about her life. And, and she's, she's just opening up in a way that was just really unusual for someone you don't know at all. 
And she didn't have any idea what I do for a living. She just started talking. And in the midst of those, those, those things she was saying, she, she was going through some rough things in her life and asking me, what do you think about this? And what do you think? And, and I'm listening and I'm trying, to just, I'm trying to just be present to this person who evidently wanted to talk. Then she asked me what I do for a living. I'm a pastor. Oh, oh. She gives it a few minutes, and she's talking, and then she finally says, you know, I got to tell you, that's great for you, but people in my generation, we just don't, the whole Christian thing, it just doesn't work for us. She was about in her early 30s. People in your early 30s, ha, 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 laugh at her. Um, and there's a lot, I can, plenty of you in this room. So I let it slide that time, but then she says it again. You know, I know it works for you implied older woman, but it just doesn't work for my generation. At that point, I had to say, actually, I have to tell you that in my church, there are a lot of people in their 20s and their 30s, younger than that, who, who really love Jesus. And she was like, really? Huh? And then all of a sudden, the dots began to connect. And she said, you know what? I wonder if I was supposed to sit next to you. Because, you know, my boss, he's a Christian, and he treats me really well. And I've got this guy, he's a new friend of mine, and he's a Christian, and I haven't really known what to do with that. And now you're sitting here, what if God is speaking? And I was like, you should chase that thought. You should chase that. So we finish talking, and I go back to my computer, and she puts her AirPods in, and I can hear her over here. She starts to cry. She's crying. And it's loud enough. I'm trying to let it pass, but it doesn't pass. And so finally, I just turned to her and I said, you must be having a moment. And she says, I think God is speaking to me. And she pulls out her AirPod and she hands it to me and says, you have to listen to this song with me. Someone else's AirPod, all for Jesus. I stick it in my ear. <laughs> and she's listening to the Bee Gees singing, How Deep Is Your Love? And that's what happened to her. I think this is God. And she starts to cry more. I put my computer up. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> and we started to talk about her life. And she says, you know, I have been wondering lately if maybe my daughter might appreciate, I don't know, some weekday church thing. I'm not a believer, but maybe she'd appreciate it. And I said, I have a friend who lives in your town. Who, who, could I give you his number? Maybe you could call him when you're ready to talk to a pastor, to visit a church. She says, sure. And then she starts to talk to me about how she's been in this position for 12 years at her job, and she's just really intimidated by the men, and she's trying to figure out, how do I be a woman in leadership? And she's just telling me this stuff. And I say... I have a book for you. <laughs> if you'll give me your address, I'll send you this book. And then she starts talking about how she's got all these crazy, you know, maybe part of my problem is I just have this really bad understanding of who God is. I can't get right who God is. And I think, I've got another book for you, Encounter the Father. And if I could send her both of these books, this is going to be great. And so then the, the flight is over. We go our separate ways. And I get to the conference and I realize they're selling both of those books. So I pick him up, and the guy who's the pastor in that town, he's at the conference. So I ask him, can I give you these two books? 
can you deliver them to this woman if I have her permission? I text her. And I say, listen, these books are here. I can just get somebody to drop them off at your house. Is that all right? And she says, sure. Later that night, she texts me, I just saw a shooting star. I think it's God. <laughs> follow that, baby. You just follow that. I am sure of it. That is Jesus. So my friend takes the books by. They range a time. She t he takes the books by. He had planned on bringing his associate pastor with him. He's about 29. She's female. He thought this would kind of, you know, burst the whole um, not my generation thing. And, um, but she was sick. But she had talked to him about it, and so she knew, uh, so he, he knew that right around the corner from where this woman li li lives, like in walking distance, is this associate pastor's grandparents. And so when he goes to deliver the books, he says, by the way, my associate pastor couldn't come today because she's sick, but she, um, her grandparents live right around the corner from you. And she said, what are their names? When he told her their name, when she told him their names, she was like, they are my child's babysitters. They take care of my child all the time. And sometimes, even if you play once or twice a year, you get lucky and land one on the green. But when you practice, God will put you in positions for your sake and for the sake of others, and you will joy. <laughs> will you stand up? I want to. I want to ask you now. What are the What are the great opportunities in front of you? Places where your joy and your desperation intersect. What are the great opportunities in front of you? Would you be willing to ask God, just speak into this, Lord. Speak, speak. I don't, I don't want God just to say, do this thing for me. That prayer has not been my most effective prayer. What I want to say, Lord, is speak, speak to me. Speak to me about these things, these things that just, just stir up the most excitement, the most passion, the most joy in me, the most desperation, my inmost being, all Spidey senses, Lord, that's what I want you to speak into. Speak into my life, God. And if you think that can happen best for you when you come and kneel down here at the front or get on your face, I want you to come. I want you to come. And if that happens best for you right where you are, stay where you are. But call on the Lord to speak. Call on Him to speak. If you need to go find somebody, if, if God's spoken a word about someone else in this room and you need to just go find them and tell them, this is what I hear God saying on your behalf, go do it. If your attention is on the song that we're about to sing, this is, this is uh, the Wesley Covenant prayer. But way before Wesley prayed this prayer, Joseph prayed this prayer. It's basically God, put me, put me aside for you, put me to work for you. I am, I am yours and you are mine and I will do whatever you call me to do. Whatever you call me to do, Lord, I am no longer my own. I am yours. I am yours, God. And so I'm asking you, God, just speak into my life and use me. Give me the grace, God, to listen and obey.
in Jesus' name. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.